the Sex and Spirituality Podcast is a show where we have real deep conversations about everything from love, sexuality, trauma, metaphysics, and healing. I am your host, Lauren Coletti, a feminist poet and grad student studying forensic psychology with a study on sexual health. As a domestic violence and sexual abuse survivor, I hope these vulnerable conversations inspire you to take an introspective look at yourself to help better your life and the people around you. Thanks for listening. You all know how much I adore, absolutely adore meditation. And I always encourage all of you to engage in self-care like yoga or meditation rituals. As a certified yoga instructor and meditation teacher, I am so excited to announce my collaboration with Bloom, the meditation app. Meditation is crucial in our self-healing journey to promote relaxation and better our sex relationships, and everything in our everyday lives. So if you are struggling with mental health, anxiety, or stress, a daily meditation, even just five minutes for beginners, helps to stay calm and grounded throughout the entire day. People over at Bloom app have given me a seven-day free trial for my listeners. Enter the code BLOOMERS when you download the app. That's B-L-O-O-M-E-R-S. I will link that in the show notes today. Friends, welcome to Sex and Spirituality. I'm your host, Lauren Coletti. Happy pre-Friday. It's Thursday right now, so I hope everyone's been having a great week. How are we all doing? I am personally feeling anxious and nervous and excited all at the same time because I'm going to Nashville tomorrow, and I'm stoked, but I'm also dealing with stress around it, and I think so much of us So many of us, we build these scenarios in our minds that never even truthfully come to fruition. And we go in with these expectations of what's going to go right or what's going to go wrong. And in reality, I'd say 90% of the time, things go completely different than what we thought or imagined to be in our heads. So I'm just trying to do all my self-care activities to prep and breathe and relax. Um, Personally, I find journaling to be very helpful. I find yoga to be super distressing. And lately I've been meditating. So I used to meditate solely to Madeline Reinhardt. She's a meditation and law of attraction coach that I would follow religiously. She was a mentor and I worked with her one-on-one and I love her meditations. Don't get me wrong. She is the meditation queen. But lately, I've had the opportunity to collab and work with Bloom, their meditation app. And um, I will link the the app and the discount code in my show notes. But I've really been liking it, honestly. I tried it. And it's cool. My favorite thing about the app is that they have meditations literally one minute, two minute, three minute, four minute, five minute, six minutes, so, and so on. So if you know, you're rushed or you can't find time in your day. If you only have 15 minutes to dedicate to meditation, you can pick a specific meditation for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 20 minutes, however long. And it's been good because I find that it fits into my schedule. So I've been finding that super useful. 
But for today's episode, since we are nearing the end of Mental Health Awareness Month, but I encourage all of you to continue working on your mental health every single month. Um, Next month, I'm really excited because it's Pride Month and I consider myself to be part of the LGBTQIA plus community. So I'll be having a lot of episodes Uh, dedicated towards queerness and alternative relationships and bisexuality and all fun things like that. But since we are nearing the end of Mental Health Awareness Month, I wanted to do one final episode for y'all on social anxiety, depression, and self-harm. Because now that I've been in a relationship for almost eight months, I've been out of the dating game for a little bit. And Quite honestly, I do not envy anyone that's single right now because although I love being single and personally I find I'm so much better at being alone than in a relationship because relationships really challenge me and they force me to work on my shit and communicate and assert myself, which is really difficult for a recovering codependent. Um, The dating game is really rough out there these days, but I do want to remind all of y'all that no matter what your gender or however you identify your sexual orientation, it doesn't matter because we often label other people as the problem. Like, there's no good guys in my city. All the girls are just out for money, whatever you want to say. You are the only common denominator in everything that has happened to you, be it good or bad right? You are the common denominator in all of our relationships. So we have to take responsibility and accountability for the people we attract and for the people that we entertain. And dating can be so complicated, but add on top of that mental health issues and mental illness, it's a whole other catastrophe. So this is for all of my friends that have mental health challenges. For me, Um, someone that has major depression, dating with depression or whether you self-harm or have anxiety, it really does impact your self-esteem and your ability to connect with people on an intimate, deep level. For me especially, I found sex when I was self-harming to be really, it was a hard situation to navigate because here I would be with someone And they would see me raw and naked and exposed and I would feel so vulnerable. And on top of that, I would have scars and cuts and burns. And I felt a lot of shame and embarrassment around it. And every successful relationship requires some vulnerability. There's really no way around it. But it can be hard to open up to someone, especially if you just start seeing them or sleeping with them, if you're afraid they're going to judge you. And if you have a history of self-harm or depression or anxiety, you may shy away from dating to avoid talking about your injuries or your scars or because you want to shield yourself away from the pain of a potential breakup. So by closing yourself off to potential suitors, You might be judging others the way that you assume they will judge you. But the right partner is someone who loves you for you and understands that self-harm and mental health problems, they're part of our story. It's not all of it. And for me, 
I've had a lot of bad experiences with this. I remember my first boyfriend, I told him I was self-harming. This was back in high school. And when we broke up, he was pretty abusive. He said, well, I hope you cut yourself so deep that you hit an artery and you kill yourself. And it was really hurtful in the fact that I shared this part of my history, something so vulnerable and sensitive and sacred, and he kind of used it against me. And I've had a lot of bad experiences with this where I've shared with the wrong people. So how do we share our history, whether that be of depression or self-harm or suicide thoughts? How do we share it? And when do we share it? So this is completely entirely up to you and your judgment. If the person you're dating isn't familiar with mental health or self-harm, they may not understand that what they're asking you to share is personal and something that you might not be comfortable yet discussing. And if you're anxious, the person you're dating will ask about your bruises, your scars um, in bed or out of bed. You know, maybe recommend, I would recommend having some answers prepared ahead of time. You can say something like, that's a long story. I'll tell you about it some other time and move on. Just know that Either way, you have to discern this with your own intuition and you don't owe the person you're seeing an explanation. And a good sense of character is if they don't respect your boundaries, that reflects very poorly on them, not on you. And when you feel you're ready to share your story, you might choose to practice how you want the conversation to go. Let that person know that you want to share something with them, right? Cluing them into the fact that this is something personal and meaningful to you can help alert them to be attentive. And as much as you can prepare your side of the conversation, unfortunately, we can't plan on their response, right? And hopefully your partner will respond in a way that makes you feel supported and comforted, but they might not. And if the person you're seeing isn't familiar with self-harm or anxiety, they might feel overwhelmed and unsure of what to say or do, right? The first reaction doesn't have to be the last. It might take a few conversations and revisiting this to move through it. It could be very awkward. It could be very uncomfortable, but give the person some time to process it and ask questions if they need to. It might also help to provide your partner with resources so that they could educate themselves and learn more about these things on their own, um, whether it be sharing my podcast or an article or an Instagram account, um, mental health resources. Really, I found my partner, he's probably looked things up because I know if I share a concern with him, he'll google it or whatever and I find that really validating to know that this person cares enough to invest in my mental health and if you're on the other side if you're with someone who self-harms or who has mental health challenges it could be scary to learn that someone we care about has a history of hurting themselves or suicidal ideation Um, after all I mean it's only natural to want to protect people we love but How do we protect someone from themselves? Reframing the way we think about, I'm going to use self-harm for this example, it might help us better understand a loved one's experience. Self-harm, from my experience, isn't about causing pain. It's about balancing out intense emotional pain. And this might seem counterintuitive, but those who struggle with self-harm may not have learned healthy coping mechanisms for dealing with difficult emotions or healthy ways to process trauma. I haven't self-harmed in a little bit. I had like a little episode a couple weeks ago because I was triggered. I was by my ex-abuser's job and it really triggered me. So I like scratched myself 
till I bled. For me, it was about taking out my frustration and my anger because I'm a very implosive person. I never externalize my rage, but I will take it out on myself because there's a part of my ego that really hates myself and I'm working on it. But I haven't cut myself or burned myself in years. And luckily now I'm with a safe, supportive person that I told him about my history. And he has been very validating and supportive and understanding. And a lot of this is about having boundaries, emotional boundaries. These are so important for both partners in the relationship. Your partner might not want to talk to you about their scars or history of self-harm, and that's okay. Because whether they're open to discussing it or not, we have to respect their safety when they feel ready, when they feel comfortable. And if our partner is comfortable talking about their history of self-harm, try to only discuss it outside of conflict or emotionally tense moments. And know that it is fine to ask questions, but do so in a sensitive way. Your partner also needs to respect your boundaries, just as you should respect theirs. And as much as you love or care for them, unfortunately, we cannot prevent or solve their mental health challenges. It's not fair to you or them to try to be their savior. That pain is theirs to work through and figure out how to navigate in a healthy way. So while it is never our role to be a fixer, there are certain things we can do in our relationship to make our partners feel supported. And this support is the same you provide to a partner in any other relationship, such as checking in often, asking how they feel to help create pathways for productive communication about their feelings. And if you're worried about your partner or you see new injuries, please express your concern and even offer to help them find emotional professional support. I'd say talk to your partner about your fears and talking about it can deepen your connection and understanding of each other and help you to make healthy choices. Now, if your partner is actively self-harming and if they tell you they're going to hurt themselves, try not to react in an inflammatory way because we have to remember that self-harm is a way of dealing with intense emotions if your partner expresses intent that's their way of communicating that they're in a lot of intense pain and they want help and it's not our job to stop that but try listening to what they're saying in a non-judgmental way you can ask questions like what are you feeling right now what's the best way to support you is there something i can do to help you Um, I don't want you to hurt yourself. Can we talk about it? Let your partner know that you're there for them. It could be a way to help them release some of the pain in a safe space because people who self-harm need love and support and patience to thrive just like anyone else. So being there for them like you would any other partner is the best gift that you can give them. Um, But just know like whether it's you or your partner who's dealing with the history of self-harm, Therapy is the best place to work through your feelings and learn better, healthier strategies for dealing with intense emotions. So um, please, please, please see therapy. I feel like this has been the theme for all of my episodes this month, but couples therapy online, personal, individual therapy is a convenient and it could generally be a very inexpensive way to get started. I know a lot of people say, oh, I don't have time for therapy. Yeah, you do. You, everyone has time. You can make time one hour a week. Um, and a lot of people say it's expensive. Check with your insurance. I have a couple therapists where I live that are, they are donation based only. So you don't have to pay a copay every time you go. 
if you look for resources, I'm sure that you will find them. So please seek therapy, whether you're on the end of dating someone who has a mental health disorder or you are that person that is struggling with mental illness individually. So let's talk about social anxiety because back in my teen years, I had debilitating, crippling social phobia, they called it back then. And social anxiety disorder is a common disorder and it can really affect our relationship in so many ways. Um, They found that researchers found that physical aggression and psychological aggression, um, in this case, the flight or fight response, can reflect an aggressive tendency that many people with social anxiety, um, they're afraid of being perceived negatively. And this was found to contribute to the fear of negative evaluation, an aspect of social anxiety, right? And a lot of people nowadays are dating online, especially with COVID. And social anxiety can make online relationships and communication seem much more doable, which is great. But please use caution because people with social anxiety disorder have a tendency to think of internet relationships as easier and safer and better controlled than in-person relationships. And this thinking can lead to excessive internet use and a tendency to exasperate and deepen your social anxiety because you avoid face-to-face situations, which makes things a lot more difficult. I remember in last year, around this time, I was talking to someone online, um, someone that I knew from high school, but we haven't seen each other in like 10 years. And he kept avoiding meeting with me in person. And it was really frustrating because I liked his personality so much and I wanted to get to know him, but he would just never hang out with me. And he told me that he had anxiety. And eventually I had to realize like, I can't cure his social anxiety. I've dealt with my own social anxiety but I don't want to have a texting buddy. But if, you know, you're on the other end, online dating can be a great way to meet people and get to know them through messaging, texting, or email before you meet them in person. But I would say, don't push it off. Don't talk to someone for a month, two months, and then meet them in person. Try to meet right away if you feel an online connection um, because you can meet them in person and realize that there is no spark. And that's what actually happened to me with this person I was dating last spring is that I met him in person and unfortunately I didn't feel a connection. So I don't want to say I wasted like three months talking to him, but I could have nipped that in the bud a lot sooner rather than later. And unfortunately, Anxiety can take a toll on our ability to establish, develop, and maintain romantic relationships. And part of this is likely because it's difficult for us to let our guard down and feel vulnerable, even with someone we love and trust. And the higher our anxiety, the more difficult emotional intimacy may be because we see it as too risky. And for those who receive treatment and are able to find the right supportive partner, a healthy and fulfilling relationship is not at all out of the question. Luckily, I've been in therapy for 10 to 15 years. I can't even remember. I got into therapy when I was about 13 years old. So that's 13 years. And I met Nick, my boyfriend at the right time. He is so emotionally intelligent, super emotionally available, and it makes all the difference. So keep these things in mind to lessen your dating anxiety. I want you to talk about what's important to you. 
And while this is probably the last thing you want to do, we have to remember true intimacy. I think our generation, millennials and the younger generation, I feel so old when I say that, but we are so afraid of true intimacy. Emotional connections are like out of the question. Everything is about texting and fucking, and that's not true intimacy. True intimacy is based on knowing and understanding each other on a deep, vulnerable level, not just on a physical level. And you can't have this without sharing. This does not mean you need to word vomit and spend the entire conversation giving your life history, but consider telling your date about something or someone important to you or what you really think about certain topics. If you really aren't hungry and just want to get a salad, if you really like the restaurant, I am so guilty of this because my boyfriend will ask me all the time, what do you want to do? you decide it's up to you. And I have like deciding phobia. I can't make a decision to save my life. And I don't know if it's really because I struggle with being, um, like decisive. I can't make a decision or if it's because fear of judgment that I'm afraid he's going to want to do something else. And I pick the wrong option, so to speak, if that makes sense. I'm afraid that it's not going to really be what he wants and I'm going to be judged. So that's my own shit. And I have to work on that as well. Another tip is focusing on the present. Think about what you're doing or what you're eating, even if you're at a restaurant and how you feel in the moment. Do not worry about, oh my God, is this person going to call me back? Do I have something in my teeth? Don't think about your past dates that have gone wrong. Just try to enjoy and embrace the right now. Also, give yourself room to be genuinely who you are. You are a valuable person with your own unique insights, experiences, and personality. And when we learn to embrace that and love who we are and know we have something to offer in a relationship, we can assume the best, right? And not the worst. Don't jump to conclusions about what your date might be thinking about you. Anxiety can get the best of us when we make assumptions about what others think or feel, but assuming is not only unfair to you, it's also unfair to the other person. So I want you lastly to disrupt, 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 (laughs) disrupt your negative thoughts. I swear, I think I am developing dyslexia or something. I, I write all these notes before I make a podcast so I have something to read off of. Sometimes I go off the top of my head, but more often than not, I'll do research and then write it out so I know what I want to say. And the last like few months, I've been struggling hardcore with reading. Anyway, as you hear, as soon as you hear that tape in your head telling you that they're not into you or this person thinks you're weird, I want you to challenge those thoughts. Some questions you could ask for example, texting, is it possible I misinterpreted this text? Am I truly listening or trying to read their mind? Or is it realistic to assume my reputation is ruined because I made a quote unquote mistake? So when we identify and disrupt our distorted thoughts, this is something that we can work on beforehand as well. And relationships obviously are super tough to navigate when we struggle with anxiety or depression, like going on dates or trying to live with someone. Ugh, my friends, this has been causing me so much anxiety. Nick and I are talking about moving in together next year, um, moving to Florida, and it's been causing me to have like panic attacks. So this is normal, right? This is the woven framework into every adult's life. But I want to remind you that even if you suffer from depression or self-harm or social anxiety, we can thrive in our relationships with a bit of 
patience and commitment and even research and education into how to manage and you know maintain our mental health. So lastly here, I want to talk about depression because I've struggled with depression a really long time. Um, and dating someone with depression is not easy. But by supporting our partner, I want to reinforce this is all about being supportive and understanding and compassionate and empathic and learning to deal and handle their struggle in healthy ways and support ourselves. We can better understand ourselves, our relationship and our partner so that we can have healthier relationships that thrive, especially while we go through a healing process or a partner undergoes a healing process. So lastly, let's talk about dating someone with depression. Um, when your partner has depression, it's really easy to get caught into this saver, fixer role, this codependent dance of caretaking and make them the center of your world. You want to do everything you can to pull them out of their pain. And we so often forget to take care of ourselves too, right? Because when we don't take care of ourselves, we won't be in any shape to support either of us. And although self-care should be at the top of everyone's priority list, it too often fails by the wayside. And, you know, when our partners choose to focus all of our attention on our loved one's health, often to the detriment of our own. And although it might seem selfish to do otherwise, it really does more harm than good. So if we find ourselves in this situation of sacrifice, it's important to take a step back and get a clearer more clarified view of the role that we are playing in our relationships. There are adaptive ways and there are harmful ways to act in these situations. And sometimes what you think are positive behaviors are just the opposite. So in order to prioritize our own health while still being in a healthy, mutual relationship, it's crucial to learn how to help them without doing so at our own dispense. So put Putting yourself first, it doesn't mean neglecting our partner's needs. This goes for any relationship, whether you're dating someone with a mental health challenge or not. It just means addressing them in adaptive ways. Just because something feels right doesn't mean it's good for our mental health or the relationship as a whole. So some important things to keep in mind that I would give to my boyfriend or anyone who's dating someone with mental health struggles such as depression, don't take their symptoms personally. It's important not to feel personally attacked if your partner seems down or at times distant and unattached. It could be hard, especially on the worst days, to see through the mental fog of depression and be fully present and engaged, even with the person we love the most. So instead of being offended or chastising your partner from their distraction, try to focus on investing positive energy into strengthening your bond and supporting them on their healing journey. Also, just want to say this one more time for the people in the back. Don't try to fix your partner. For every answer you think you have, I can often see another problem. That's the trick of depression, right? It traps a person into thinking there's no way out, even when the exit sign is so clear to everyone around them. So instead of trying to logic your partner's depression into non-existence, focus instead on supporting and accepting them in their struggle. Let them know that you're there for them and that their feelings are real and legitimate and that they're there to you're there to listen if they need to talk. Also learn to support yourself. Learning to support your partner while they're struggling with depression will help them recover. 
And by helping them during this process, you're also helping the relationship and yourself because depression affects both people in relationship. So with that being said, you need to set boundaries and focus on your own well-being. You're not this person's doctor. You're not their therapist. You're not their saving grace and the answer to all of their problems. Because depression isn't just hard on the person it affects, it's hard on both people and the relationship itself. So it's okay to admit you're having a tough time too and that you need support. So one last time, I promise I'll stop saying it. Go to therapy, whether it's couples therapy or individual therapy, and learn to take breaks as needed. Also, we have to understand our partner and ourselves because addressing our partner's needs, our own, and making sure that we're both walking on the right path can be... Sorry, guys. So basically, the last half of that episode I recorded got deleted and I got cut off. So I'm just going to end this here because there was like not even two minutes left. But I thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you are enjoying Sex and Spirituality. We're close to 7,000 downloads I can't believe it. I'm so excited. And I thank you all for your continued love and support. And I hope that we can cultivate a community of understanding and empathy for people that are dealing with mental health challenges and struggles and healing from sexual abuse. That's really my goal for this show is to make people feel less isolated, less alone in their challenges. And know that just because you have gone through an assault or domestic violence or you struggle with a mental illness does not make you any less lovable, does not make you any less desirable or damaged goods. I felt that way for so long and I never want anyone ever to feel that way again. So I'm going to link my Amazon author page in the show notes if you want to check out my work. I have three books around healing from abuse and dealing with interpersonal trauma and how I overcame that and coped as a survivor. Thank you so much again. I will probably be MIA for a couple of days because I'm going to Tennessee and I can't wait and I'll let you all know how it goes. I'll probably also record a podcast with my girlfriend, Ashleen. So stay tuned for that. If you're interested, check me out on Instagram. I have my personal account back up and running. Big Juicy Plump. Don't ask. It's an inside joke. Um, Or you can check out my show page at Sex and Spirituality Pod. Thanks again. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thank you.